0: Hello, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you a quick introduction to Manny Lubin, our guest today, one of the co founders of Slate Milk. Um, You guys are going to love this episode. If you know, this one got a little nostalgic, right? Uh, Chocolate milk, something I honestly used to drink all the time, Um, haven't drank a ton of it recently. And Slate Milk is trying to get a clean slate for milk. And the way they do it, he dives through in the episode. Um, and if you guys listen to this episode, I think you're going to want to try this. Um, it was really fun talking to Manny. Um, they're doing some really cool stuff. We also dive into fundraising and investing and getting investors for a startup company in a way that we really haven't talked too much uh, in this founders series. So Uh, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode today, and as always, if you guys can leave uh, positive reviews, um, give me some stars, you know, the whole nine yards on whatever platform it is that you listen to, and above all, share it with your friends. It does help the growth of this platform. So thank you very much for listening right after this. Without further ado, Manny Lubin of Slate Milk. Well, hello, everybody. We are live with another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am pumped today to have Manny Lubin on the podcast, co-founder of Slate Milk. Manny, welcome to the show. What's
1: up, Shane? Thanks for having me, man.
0: Appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time. Do you mind giving everyone a quick intro to yourself? And then I think just giving everyone a real quick intro of just what Slate is would be fantastic. Yeah, so
1: I'm Manny, co-founder of Slate Milk, and in 2017... Josh, my co-founder and myself, just, we just love chocolate milk, wanted to make it better, better for you. So we teamed up and started investigating ways to do that. And uh, we are 75% less sugar than other chocolate milk, We have 17 grams of protein per can, and we're just a better for you chocolate milk company.
0: Love it. Love it. It's so simple, but it's like, I it resonated with me. When I first saw you guys, uh, I forget where I did. I was like, oh, hell yeah, healthier chocolate milk. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Right. Who doesn't love chocolate milk, right? Who I think doesn't that's love
0: what, chocolate milk, right?
1: What I started with is we're already drinking it every day.
0: Okay, Uh, we're trying to
1: lower our sugar, increase our protein, both lactose intolerant, right? So,
0: okay, so this is something I was going to ask you right away was my wife became lactose intolerant like two years ago. And then I I don't know for sure. But I swear to God, four months ago, I started having like lactate, like lactose intolerant type symptoms. Is that do you know, you might know, because you're in the in the business, but is that something that just like randomly develops in people?
1: Yeah, so actually, as you go through puberty, a lot of people like they they stop, being able to process lactose okay right so uh, the lactate lactase enzyme is actually an enzyme in your stomach yeah. that you're born with and as you go through puberty it like starts to slowly dissolve okay um, in a lot of people so actually like 75 percent of the world is actually lactose intolerant and a really? lot of people don't know that
0: oh yeah so it's like yeah. not normal for you to drink i've known that like it's not necessarily yeah. the most normal thing mm. to drink like full you know lactose milk but it's weird because i'm 29 and then i yeah. felt like randomly this year i just I don't know. I just like to have like pizza, dairy. I'm like, what the hell's going on?
1: Yeah, and also, actually, for myself, Josh, actually, both my brothers, one meal made us lactose intolerant. Really? So, well, so I, uh, <clears throat> I won't say the name of the fast food chain. Let's <laughs> say it's a, it's a girl with red hair. Okay. And know that. Uh, at a certain point, I don't know if they're still offering it, but they're offering a triple cheeseburger. Okay. Oh, okay. <clears> Haven't <throat> been back there since triple cheeseburger, large shake large fries that i think i actually dipped in the shake and i woke oh, wow. up the next morning this was in eighth grade and i was I, I was lactose intolerant and there are a lot of people that say you know you're sure you lactose intolerant i i was sure yeah, i yeah. I, <laughs> I went to the doctor usually it's
0: a pretty obvious symptom yeah
1: oh yeah oh yeah i was sure <laughs> um and i went to the doctor actually and so i actually wrote a blog about this is you know i'm not a doctor i'm far from a doctor but to, to, to make sure I was lactose intolerant, they just gave me a bunch of lactose and they are like, here, let's see what this does to you. Seems logical. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's how I found out I was actually lactose intolerant. Okay. And other people, it's different. It depends on, um, like you have different severities of lactose intolerance, right? Sure. But like I even say, like even in our pitch, we're like, you know, I can eat a slice of cheese pizza. I'm not going to like pop like a balloon, right? Yeah, yeah. But it won't make me feel great. That's and kind
0: of the key, I yeah, think. I mean, like- Definitely. I probably don't have the, the extreme end, but I definitely just don't feel good after anymore.
1: Right. And it's funny, a lot of these posts uh, about people that you were know, talking about how we shouldn't drink milk, which you know we respect. Like, people have their, their thoughts and their views on Animal products, X, and, and we respect passion, I think, is, is one of the things that we respect most in, in people and in businesses. Um, for us, we, just, we see a lot of innovation in the non-dairy space, like sure. plant-based protein, and we felt as though there's a lot of opportunity to innovate real dairy. Um, Which is why we focus on chocolate milk, and we just again love chocolate milk. We're already always drinking it, right? Make it healthier, wanted to make it lactose free for everyone, put it in the can, it's more recyclable. Um, but yeah, what we realized is a lot of people that are drinking these plant based drinks are drinking it because real milk makes them feel like garbage, and it's not the milk itself, it's just the lactose, right? And yeah, it's not necessarily apples to apples, but you, 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 you peel off the skin of a banana, right? Like we're not eating things in nature as they appear. Like we're actually making changes so that our bodies can digest them properly.
0: I saw you, with you I, you wrote that somewhere online. I saw, and I was like, that's such a great analogy. Yeah, I had never thought about that with milk before, but it totally makes right. sense.
1: Right. And so it's not like we're, I'm not like biting into a coconut, right? It's, yeah. it's like with, with milk, like if we could filter out these, these large angry sugars, because lactose, again, it's just a big sugar. And the enzyme in, in our stomachs that we're born with, Actually breaks it down into smaller digestible sugars, which then can okay. be absorbed into our stomachs. Yeah, and you know, if you have this large sugar that your stomach can't absorb, then it's going to cause you pain. Like it can cause discomfort. It can cause obviously things that happen in the bathroom. It can cause actually like skin problems with, with uh, with acne and whatnot. So we just you know we think the future of milk not only is better for you, which we can get into, but also most things are going to be lactose free because it's just meant for everyone. It's meant for got it.
0: I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, that that seems like something that someone would have figured out a long time ago, but obviously not. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things I always love to start with is just like, how did you come up with the idea? Like, I would always, I always love the like zero to one. So like, what do you remember when you and Josh first had the conversation around just, you know, wanting to start this or what oh, that yeah. conversation looked like?
1: Yeah, it's funny, you call it zero to one. We do the same, right? Okay, like we, yeah. we even say, uh, gutting from one to two, I think is, I mean, we got a long way to go, right? Sure, sure. But when, what we thought is that will be the hardest part, and that, like, you know, we're gonna get into it, like how we finance the business, but like, yeah, that's why we need to bring someone else on the team that had more experience. But before getting there, zero to one, it's really just about grit, right? It's just about so when we first had the idea, I think even like a t- group text with like my college buddies years ago. I was like, I'm always drinking this lactose free milk. That's meant for kids. Like, why yeah. isn't there a, like a lactose free chocolate milk that is meant for adults? Like the idea happened years ago. I think Josh okay. had a similar idea. And then um, when we realized there was a business opportunity was when we actually took a microscope to the market, because we not want to try to build a billion dollar business in a declining market. Yeah. Um, that that wasn't something that was appealing to us and we didn't think it was feasible. And so we heard milk was dying, but uh I, I just started Googling the like, chocolate milk market and ready to drink protein right. milk, and lactose free milk and we started realizing that lactose free milk is actually on the rise. Right. Oh. It's been up like eighty five percent in the last five years. It's, yeah, it's grown like crazy. And this is a
0: dumb willing. this is a dumb question, but actually something that I've never asked on this podcast. What If you're someone like you who are just like, you're looking at industries, where did you guys go to get that information? Like, how did you find out that that industry was growing? Because I think some people who are not in the food industry would have no idea. Like, where the hell do I even do that?
1: Google. I literally just started Google. Yeah. I I, I think the first thing we Googled was like how to start a chocolate milk company. Because we're not like sons of dairy farmers, right? Like, right. I didn't know anything about milk other than it tasted good. And when it was chocolate flavored, I drank it even more. Right? that so, is so funny
0: yeah okay uh
1: and then like there are a lot of services where you have to pay for this information but if you go deep enough like if you're on page like 13 14 at google sometimes a lot of st- times it's not good stuff but like you can you can find some stuff
0: so it's just again uh, it's the grit the perseverance yeah just it's keep just looking, like you keep find trying right. find and then the i think answer.
1: we asked some people in the dairy space and but so the, this is going back from zero to one was just um we realized that lactose-free milk market was growing the chocolate milk market was growing um and we just realized that Four to five people are trying to decrease sugar from their diets. We realized that three out of five were increasing protein, right? And so uh, we just saw all these growing like natural products are on the rise. So like we just saw all these trends that said, all right, the the market is calling for this. And then from a brand standpoint, we just saw this this huge lane that no one was taking advantage of, right? Like our guardrails, we say, are like basically like the bodybuilder protein shakes, we call them.
0: Okay. And then the
1: kids' chocolate milks. And like in between there, if you can just strip away the the, the packaging that exists right and just like focus on the liquid chocolate milk itself is really delicious and it's a great product like naturally it's got protein in it um people enjoy the taste sure oh yeah and and then we looked at that and we're like well if we can make it lower in sugar higher in protein lactose free then that's just a great liquid and then if surrounding it we can put it in a container that made everyone feel comfortable drinking it right because we talk about how chocolate milk Everything that exists is like exclusive to kids, yeah. to bodybuilding, whatever. That's so true. I
0: had never thought about that. It's very true. It is like very segmented.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, you look at our X bar, a lot of our inspiration is like, just have a great product, yeah. brand it simply. And so if people want it, like people are educated enough, they have access to to their phones, to to internet, to determine whether it's a good fit for the diet. So that was kind of the, all right, we have something here.
0: Yeah. And did you, do you like? Do you remember the first batch? Actually, I think you guys posted a video of not the very first batch, but I've seen your like, you have like that video where you guys are trying the different ones. Oh, yeah. um, do you remember like the very first batch though? Like when you oh, guys yeah. first brewing this up in the kitchen? I'm oh sure. yeah. So
1: so we all right. So I actually sent a deck to Josh.
0: Okay. Um, just like a PowerPoint deck. A
1: PowerPoint. Yeah. Just sweet victory drinks. You you work hard. You deserve a sweet victory. It was like all black. Like it was the brand. It was just. Not great, (laughs) but it was just like, I like got like a blank can off of like Google and then just like on it wrote like sweet victory drinks, but uh, like spray painted in my backyard, like a can, but uh, Josh was like, like, get the heck out of here. We're not starting a chocolate milk company and we're not putting the can and like all this stuff, like it has to be bigger than a brand. Right. Okay. Um, And that's when we actually started learning about ultrafiltration, which is the process of removing the natural lactose sugars from milk. There was one company at the time that was much smaller. Now it's fully owned by Coke Fairlife that was doing it. Yes. Yep. And uh, we, we realized that you could, with ultrafiltration, we make it lower in sugar, higher in protein, lactose free. So that was the moment where it's like, all right, we have something here. And then uh, we went to Stop and Shop. We got some ultrafilter milk and a bunch of ingredients in my kitchen. This was probably November 2017, maybe early 2018. Um, and within five minutes, we're like, there's no way we were going to be able to do this ourselves. Like we are physically incapable of creating a, a an ultra filtered chocolate milk with ingredients that we can buy at a store. Okay. And, uh, so that's when we realized we had to raise our first capital and that Got first it. capital was going to go towards creating like our MVP, like our minimal value yeah. product or our first version of the product.
0: And why? That's not to interject, but how okay. did why did you know from that first batch in the in the kitchen that it wasn't going to be possible to do it on your own?
1: Uh, because it tasted terrible.
0: Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> and the consistency was off. And um, something that we haven't even gotten into yet is the pasteurization process. So we knew we wanted to make it shelf stable. And to make it shelf stable, you need it. There are just other ingredients that you need, like all natural okay. ingredients, but ingredients that give it a little bit more of a body and that, that more or less allow it to blend together and go through this past pasteurization process. Okay. And it yeah. wouldn't necessarily taste like it's going to taste which just with the ingredients of the store.
0: Oh, got it. Interesting. And maybe that would be helpful. Can you explain just, so this ultra filtration yep. and then pasteurization, yep. like all terms i think most of us have probably heard but like why is it so important with your guys's product in the milk yeah. market in general like what are so all, what ultra all
1: filtration is the process of naturally filtering out the lactose sugars in in milk and you can do different degrees so like you can slightly ultra filter it which will remove some of the sugars or you can really what we say crank it up and remove okay. as many of those sugars as you can and it's not like we we describe it as like a filter like any other filter but mm-hmm. it's like Bigger than this room, like a UF machine, an ultrafiltration machine, is enormous. Oh, is it really? It's a bunch of like tubes, and the the milk is going in and out, and in and out, and in and out, and trying to catch as many of those those um, lactose sugars as it can.
0: Oh wow! And okay. And
1: it also filters out some of the natural water. So, oh. so you think about milk is call it eighty five to ninety percent water. If you filter out some of that water, it's still liquid, but per ounce it's actually slightly condensed or concentrated. Oh, so yeah, same size container can actually have more protein. It's also protein.
0: Oh, got it. Oh, because, okay, so really like regular milk is, it's essentially if it's not ultra-filtered, it's more, it's more watered down. Correct. Got so it, okay.
1: Fat is actually what gives it the body, but when it comes to UF milk, ultra-filtered milk, because the proteins are slightly condensed, it actually gives it kind of like that body from fats.
0: Oh, got it. Oh, learned yeah. something new today. Okay. Yeah,
1: there you go. So uh, we ultra-filter our milk, um, we also add the lactase enzyme because as far as we're concerned, no one on the planet can filter out hundred percent of the lactose sugars. Okay. And so we are hundred percent lactose free because the, then there's an enzyme. So let's say, you know, 15 sugars, not literally, it's way more, but like so these sugars make it sure. through the UF machine. We still need to break those down so that we don't have any lactose sugars in the product.
0: Got it. So that okay. enzyme that's
1: naturally in our stomachs. So that's that lactate pill you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, like lactase enzyme. So the companies that are lactose free milk that aren't ultra filtered are just adding an enzyme to their milk. And so those large lactose sugars are breaking down to smaller sugars. It takes about 24 hours typically for the enzyme to kick in. Okay. And it's digestible.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I know. It's you, like, i so guys I'm like you, a milk guy now.
0: Yeah, you really are. I mean, you said that on another thing I saw, you were the, you guys are like milk men. I'm like, you literally really are. That's yeah. exactly what you're doing. So yeah. then, I mean, obviously you're, you're explaining all this. This all makes yeah. sense. What makes Slate Milk like different than Fairlife, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. or some of these other brands that have, you know, they're in the milk space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then uh, once we have our ultra filtered milk product, now we talk about pasteurizing it, right? Okay. And so yes. to make a dairy product and, and even coffees, like to, to make a lot of these products shelf stable, there are two ways to do it. One is called UHT to aseptic. So think of like your Tetra Pak carton. Um, a lot of the times, like a lot of coconut waters are in these types yeah. of containers, Um, or you think of a plastic bottle, like a PET plastic bottle that has coffees in it. So that uses a process called, uh, ultra heat treatment, UHT to aseptic packaging. Whereas we use the retort process. So any coffee or dairy product, you see that's shelf stable, um, in a can or in glass. So you think of, you know, the largest coffee company in the country does this for a lot of their drinks. Right. Right. Um, they are using what's called the retort process. And the way that we describe that is it's almost like a huge submarine looking uh, pressure cooker.
0: Oh, okay. Right? That,
1: that, so our cans are, our are, are chocolate milks are blended. The milk's pre-pasteurized. They're blended. The ingredients are batched together. They're canned. And then they go in this large, almost water oven. And we'd Whoa. say they're cooked, they're cooked like a cake. Yeah. So they heat up, they cool down, shelf stable for an extended period of time.
0: Got it. Okay. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. I just like it's so funny you say uh, you're explaining all this because it couldn't have been a month ago that I realized like why cans are shelf stable. Like my father-in-law's in the food industry too, yeah. and he was explaining like chicken noodle soup how it's made, and I was yep. like, it's similar. And I was yeah. like, that's so crazy. I just never thought twice how you, when you open it you Definitely. just break the air seal and that's but before exactly. and that's why it's shelf stable. That's it's really huge.
1: cool. It's huge. It's huge. And um, so yeah, no, that's so we're combining the ultrafiltration process and the retort process. We're the first in the real milk space as far as we're concerned like it's really been made popular by the coffees okay I mean, yeah the retort process um but as far as we're concerned we're the first in the country to put chocolate milk in a can and be able to sell it online and shelf stable
0: love it oh that's so cool man that's awesome
1: yeah it's I mean, it I mean, it took 18 months to from conception to have the well you said the first batch yeah like that was,
0: well, now that makes sense. Cause this, yeah. this, now this is much more complicated that you can't necessarily
1: do all that in your kitchen. Right. So <laughs> no, I've, and, and we, there was a period where, you know, so we launched a Kickstarter campaign and even yeah. before that, we just didn't know how the heck we're going to get this thing in the market. Cause like we had all the pieces, we had the growing market. We had this, we worked with this formulation team. We got the flavor, to a good place. Right. Um, and I was like, how do we get this stuff made? Yeah. And so it's just like, it's just knocking on doors and if you, if they said no, we just kept coming back. Cause it's like, right. there's an opportunity here. Yeah. Right. And we have, we started getting more and more, what we call just like we like the one domino would knock over then it knock over three more dominoes and like more and more pieces pieces of the team would join and, and the opportunities would present themselves. And we ended up launching it in November of 2019.
0: Got it. Love it. So yeah, I was going to say when I, when I was doing some my research to try and trying to put a timeline together for you guys, um, I think this would be a great leeway for my next kind of question that I think a lot of the audience is probably thinking right now. So you guys are one of the first founders I've had on here that, um, yeah, it sounds like you, you guys had the concept, like like you said, you had like this path to market, like in general, but like making the product seem like that was going to be extremely expensive. So would love to know, I was going to ask more of a like bootstrapping versus raising capital question. It, it, you kind of answered that already saying, you know, it was very obvious early on that you guys were going to have to raise capital, but then for the listeners who don't know, I mean, you guys, and you're sure we'll get into it, but you, you know, you were on Indiegogo and Kickstarter, you try to go on shark tank to get capital. So you guys did a lot of things to try to raise some money. Would you explain everyone, like once you got to that point, where you and Josh were like, okay, shit, we need to, we need to raise money. Like, we, oh, there's yeah. no way we can do this on our own. What was that like brainstorm process? How did you guys decide on like, which avenue to go down? And if it was just knocking on doors, like you said, that's yeah. an awesome answer too. But we'd love to just know like that part of the Definitely. story and how it worked.
1: Well, I, I think it's important that uh, look, to date, we've raised, it's public, we've raised like 2.5 million, right? And yeah. so, like, we haven't raised a ton of money, but also I don't think there's a right path. I think for, I, even for every individual business, I don't think there's one right path. And I sure. think that oh. that, you know, you look in the, you look at the press and you see all these millions and millions of dollars raised, or you look at the companies that bootstrap themselves, like you look at the RX versus yeah. like, you know, some of the other companies that raise, like, there's no individual right path. But for us, we needed money to get to the next step. So at the beginning, we bootstrapped it. And then when we realized we needed you know, X amount of money to just to get the product made, then we raised that much money with a little bit of breathing room. Okay. right so we never necessarily like at least up until our most recent round like we had numbers in mind of what we needed but we we raised what we like we didn't like set a number like if we don't hit that then the round is unsuccessful it's yeah. like this is what we need to get to the next place i
0: think that's still how we that's think smart up. i mean yeah so it sounds like yeah okay so you guys didn't just go raise money to rate for the sake of raising right. money and like let's just raise a ton so that we're safe right you figured out what you kind of needed and back exactly into and that's spot. why I,
1: that's what's so great i think about like the, the convertible note process, right? And, mm-hmm. and just knowing that earlier on, if you're talking to angels, angel investors versus like VCs or, or any type of money, that they can be a little bit more flexible with right. terms and and they know that you know, they're betting on you as the founders. And like, yeah. we knew that. We would say that straight up is, you know, there are some people that invest in the business that didn't even have an opportunity to try it. Because oh, really? we, let them, we just let them know, look, like we're going to do everything we can to create products that people love. Yeah. And like, if people don't love it, then we'll continue to improve it till people love it. But here's the growing market. No one is, in, from a brand standpoint, no one is like doing what, exactly what we're doing. Like, obviously there are competitors, but like in terms of like the brand, you know, we have this little gray area that we're attacking. Sure. And, you know, we are just gonna make it work. Yeah, and so no, I, I love think that. that. It was just, again, building pieces and we needed money going to get money. But yeah, I think that, you no, know, we still have that conversation is how much do we want to raise? When do we want to raise it? And what are the, the pros and the cons?
0: Yeah. How did you um how did you guys decide on that initial amount? Because it sounds like early on, I mean, like there was a lot of manufacturing that was gonna have to happen. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was hard to like, you know, I've worked in smaller companies where like even just trying to figure out getting quotes and like what this could cost is kind of I don't know, finding a needle in a haystack sometimes and you're kind yeah. of guessing. I, Do you remember like the original evaluation? How you guys thought through that?
1: Uh <laughs> Yeah, it was whatever we wanted it to be and as much as the first investor would be willing to give us. <laughs> <laughs> so so our, our lead investor um, was the first sales broker for a very large Greek yogurt company that is still a very large Greek yogurt company. Okay. And so he was a broker there and, and did well and had a lot of contacts. And again, I think this goes back to what I was talking about earlier is we could get from zero to one. But getting from one to two, even though Josh and I had all the confidence in the world that we could do it, we were going to do it. We needed a stamp of validation. And what better to have that stamp of validation than to receive it with the check and with someone that has the contacts and someone that could really guide us in the beginning, get help, get us from one to two. Because again, I, I think that that's where so many of these companies have so much trouble because it could be the best product in the world. It could be the right time for the product, it could be a growing market, but they're just, like, people just don't believe because they don't see a name of someone that, that has done it before. And mm-hmm, for better sure. or for worse, that's just, you know, that's, that's what we had seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that first money that came in, it really was, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want. And honestly, it was, that was probably like six months before Shark Tank. That was really our shark. Like that conversation was Shark Tank over the phone or in person. Like it was okay, just like, yeah. this, is what I want, this is what I want. No, no, yes. Like, and then we just found a way to make work. We shook hands, we moved forward. And that amount was to allow us to uh, formulate the product and a few more other things that we needed to get done that, that were going to cost us some money. And then when that was complete, it was just how much do we need to get to the next step? Yeah. And, and I think early on those, because that that money raised is expensive, right?
0: I'm sure, Yeah.
1: Regardless of how far along you are, just like the val at that point, unless you're, there are companies out there that are raising fifty million on a two fifty val with just an idea, yeah. Which yeah, all the power to you. You got to sell for a a, a bill if you're doing that, but yeah. Um, but early on, I think there are a lot of moving pieces. I think our valuation changed one, two, three times in the first year and a half. Okay, just because it's so quick, like you get one big piece that significantly impacts the business in the early days
0: right and then how i mean like this is this is one that someone a a listener asked me not too long ago you know they were like how do you early on i mean evaluating especially if you're pre-revenue is tough because i mean I'm assuming you're looking at the the competitive market and trying to see what the size of that is and trying to figure out what your piece of that pie could be. Mm-hmm. How much leverage did you feel like early on you guys had with early on investors on like the valuation? Was that, is that something that's more founder led and you guys really put a stake in the ground on what you think the valuation would be? Or is that more of like your first investors that come in are like, nah, that's
1: this is what you're going to be valued that's at. Like, a how does great that work? Question. That's a great question. I think that we did an exercise. We have like what we call like our waterfall cap table, where we see, we can change the valuation, we can see how much is raised, and then we can determine like everyone's dilution based on that val and okay. and the investment amount. Yeah. And so early on, I think we did that based on what the first investor is going to come in at, and then what we were confident we can raise on based on having that member as part of the team, right? Because again, in the early days, yes, you know, you could look at like the TAM and the percent you would need to get to X, but in the early days, they're really again just kind of investing in you and a lot of these angel investors, at least the ones that invested in in slate understood that if they were going to come in extremely early, they weren't like the evaluate the valuation, like might not be what they wanted it to be, but they realized that they were getting a piece of something early that could be much larger. Sure. And so again, I I think, you know, asking who, who kind of ran that show, I think we always felt as it was us and we, we kind of still do. And, you know, we never want, we would never want an investor to invest in the business if they aren't comfortable with the value of the business, right? The valuation business but at the same point we can't accept that money if we're not or it's just going to be in the back of our minds and it'll just pollute the entire relationship that's a great So point. i again like even on shark tank it was half of the conversation which you know, we could talk about that but we yeah. were in there for a lot longer they, they aired a lot of the, the uh the conversation that had to do with the valuation unfortunately and you know we we had some pieces there that we unfortunately weren't allowed to talk about in the show just because of how new they were but it would the focus of the conversation was on the valuation. And and for us, we always try to focus on slate, like everything about slate because that's what they're investing in the, the valuation, We don't, we never want to be the focus of the conversation. And if it is a lot of times it doesn't end up being the right investor. That's usually the last part, the last piece of the puzzle.
0: Got uh, it. Oh, that thing. makes sense. I mean, cause yeah. they're buying it. Usually they're buying into something for a lot like longer term and a exactly. bigger picture than just truly the value. And, even in a story like RX, I'm assuming early on when Peter and Jared were out, you know, just kicking it around at the very beginning. I mean, to think that the valuation—if you had a serious conversation with people early on of what a valuation could be and where it ended up—I mean, you're you're never going to be able to hit that perfectly, you know, on the
1: head. Exactly. You can't like because you're valuing like what are you actually using to value the business? And I think this is why you know, Shark Tank a lot of those deals are like they're taking like 25 points of the business, right? Yeah and you have to be extremely early to give up 25 points to an investor that isn't going to be working for you.
0: I yeah that's that's always my takeaway whenever I watch watch that show is yeah. it seems like you're giving up so much. And I mean yes, you're probably giving up more because you're on TV and you're getting all this marketing and hopefully yeah. that propels you. I mean for you guys, we can jump into that. Yeah. You didn't get a deal on Shark Tank, but I would hope that Even for companies that go on and don't get deals, did did you at least see like kind of a springboard of online sales or just traction in general from like yeah? So so anyone
1: that watched our episode, uh, we could safely say that it didn't go as planned. Yeah. (laughs) Net net, it ended up positively impacting the business, and I'd say you know sales aside, because like those are that's short term. It's just having it be part of the story, right? Is like. It's a couple of knuckleheads from the Burbs of Boston that have an idea to give chocolate milk a clean slate and do this whole new chocolate milk, and then they launch on Kickstarter, and then it's Shark Tank, and then it's into stores, and then it's you know, money raised, and it's just like adding team members, people like reputable p- people that have have helped build businesses in the past, and and for us, I think that's what's been most powerful because the conversations that you know investor conversations we want we always want them to go well, sure. but the partnerships that I think are just as important, if not more important, are the grocery store conversations, right? Like yeah. we're going to be launching with Publix in, in a few weeks here. Oh, and, congrats. Thanks, man. And, and you know, I think that just have, being able to talk about Shark Tank and having that experience. Yeah. You always get like a little smile, like a little chuckle from the sure. buyer. And uh, whenever we can, like we we just want to like sell that story because that's what a lot of people that are are buying into, right? They're, they're buying into the story. Again, whether it's an investor, whether it's, it's a, a grocery store or anyone between or a partner even, Um and so I think that's what was most effective. That's how it most positively impacted the business is just having Shark Tank be a part of our story and knowing that, you know, having that stamp of validation that the people at Shark Tank thought that we had something unique enough to put us on the show.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was there, um, was there anything lesson learned from that? I mean, you, you kind of hit on it at the beginning of just like, you know, if someone's so focused on the valuation and that's the entire conversation, they're probably not the right investor for you guys. For anyone out there who's you know way earlier stage than you guys that yeah. maybe wants to raise money at some point, do do you have any advice for listeners who you know are thinking about getting into the fundraising process and like maybe things that you learned or things that you would avoid if you did it over again? I think that'd be helpful for people listening.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I would really focus on how much money do you need, and obviously you want to buffer. Obviously things are going to come up. But just starting the conversation, having a first conversation when you don't need money is the best time to have it. Because I love not that. Back, it's not against the wall, right? Yeah. And so, like, even now, like, we're, we're always having conversations with potential investors just to kick off the conversation and just like keep it warm and just keep everyone updated. because it also, you're allowed, you're able to then show your progress, right? That's I think smart. that's huge. You know, when you're thinking about someone investing in business or you investing in a business, right? Like, even if you were to invest whatever, $500, $1,000, like any individual person is, what Would you want to see from that business if they started with an idea and then it was all right? They got an MVP, all right? They had they launched on Kickstarter, they did well, they have you know X ex- now people involved like that progress. If you're able to see all that, that's so much more powerful than just you know hearing the story in like one line or like two or three quick minutes, yeah. Um, and I think that's also a lot of a lot of our investors have followed on, even you know ones that wrote small checks in the beginning, um, are now reinvesting because they've seen the progress and they're they're a part of it and it's exciting to be a part of
0: for sure oh yeah i can imagine yeah yeah do, and do you feel and i'm sure this completely depends on you know every angel investor every vc everyone you work with is going to be different mm-hmm. um how much do you guys like leverage you know your investors for knowledge Like I, that's another question i've been getting is like it seems like a, a scary thing to like you're getting money from people and then you're going back and asking them for all this advice but i think more common than not, that's actually like, it's a great way to use investors. Like they want to see your growth just as much as you obviously want to impress them with the, you know, with your results, right? hundred
1: percent. Like there are stakes for them, right? And, yeah. you know, we, we've had a lot of people that have wanted to become advisors for us that help us out. And we have a handful of great advisors. And um, I think leveraging your investors is, is extremely important. I think that's why it's great to target people that have unique skill sets, like okay. for us, like we're very fortunate to have Doug and Justin from Halo Top as investors yeah. to us. they like just giving us knowledge. And um, like Jake from Movement Watches, who like obviously is, has helped build a, an e-commerce business. And, you know, just people that, that have invested in the business and we've been able to reach out to about you know, what do you think is best? And when we have an issue, we usually do what we say is like just blitz the investors and advisors. And Josh and I would just hit up everyone at once and then just yeah. collect all the feedback and then make a decision. I love that. That's great. I I mean, it's like a pool
0: of knowledge. Exactly. Right. And
1: so, you know, there's some investors that we know are are great people, but you know, their money is their value. And then there are other investors, regardless of the size of the check, where their knowledge is their value and the investment is great. And being able to talk about them as investors or just knowing that they have stakes just makes them want to contribute even, even more. Sure. But, but no, I mean, I think, you know, even people that don't know us, we just try to use it as a sounding board and like we always want to sponge in everything. Like we yeah. always say we want to be the, uh, the stupidest people in the room.
0: Oh, I get it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I think more and more people are finding out. It's definitely with podcasts like this. And there's, so, there's a ton of really good ones out there now in the CPG space. Um, it seems like it's one of the few spaces where everyone wants to help each other. Like there's really not too many. I mean like, yeah, of course, like very competitive brands, maybe not, but like in general, the space I would, I would argue is, is more apt to help each other, especially cause there's just, I always, I always tell people as an analogy, I'm like, there's a lot of, there's like on your phone, there's only, you know, so many apps you might click on in a day and the tech community, it's very different. You go to the grocery store. There's so many brands that you're interacting with every time you go, you know, there can be a lot more than one winner, which
1: is, I think is cool. Definitely. And I think that, you know, the way that we say it here is between the numbers, it's, it's like, it's war, it's sport. Like if you're in the grocery store, like we're competing for shelf space. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. But then like, when you walk out the store, like on the sidelines or like. Like when we're not playing, like when we're not in the game, like we're helping, we're shaking hands. Like we're, you know, it's like, you just like, look at all these professional athletes that are all friends and then they're, they're on the court, they're between the numbers and they're competing. Oh, that's so true. That's a great one. Cause like, we, we want to help everyone out. We're we're all part of this movement together. This, this startup better for like a lot of, in a lot of cases, like better for you movement, right? Yeah. Right. Grocery stores, like our X bar, obviously a great example but like, you know, grocery stores in five or 10 years are gonna be a lot different. It's gonna be a lot better for you products. And, um, being a part of the movement's exciting. We, we always try to help out other brands when we can.
0: Sure. Then that makes sense. It, so another thing I thought is interesting with you guys, you guys fit into this mold of, I like to ask this question when it, it seems right is why do you think um, some of the br- bigger brands that play in the milk industry haven't tried to do something similar? I, I think it's an interesting way just to like reverse engineer and think through like the way big yeah. big corporations work.
1: It's, it's funny. We, uh, <clears throat> It's the, the old, why doesn't Facebook just do it question. Yeah. That, that yeah. <laughs> everyone in the tech space asks everyone out else, but you know, they are so focused on upgrading their current SKUs, a lot of brands, right? And they are so focused on just trying to keep up that a lot of times it's very difficult to innovate and there's a lot of risk involved. So why not let the smaller companies take those risks with the unique products? And if it does well, scoop them up. Yeah. Um, and also we had one uh, investor once tell us, who's going to be the guy at Coke or whatever that takes a shot on a product and fails. Like they are risking their career on that. And again, really I don't are. know if that's true or not. Yeah. Um, but you know, we like hearing that It was like, this is one individual person that is doing very well and they're, they're risking everything on something that, now is, is is risky like all starts are
0: well and i mean i mean yeah i've worked in big corporate america too so i i can say on the other side it's uh it's number one yeah that risk and two there, there's not a big payoff like it's exactly. not like if the, all of a sudden it's the next big thing it's oh, okay cool well you've been there in this role for a few years and you move on to the next one it's not there's not this like incentive that there is outside of that right that world and i
1: think with startups too is you're building this culture you're, you're building this brand where everyone that joins the team is just is so focused on helping it grow because they want like it's the desire too like it's real like especially yeah. at the store level like we just got in a market basket and our team today oh, is like congrats. Some big
0: channel. news today
1: thanks man yeah that's it's awesome been a, it's been a good, good couple weeks for us that's awesome um, and like our team just posted like all of our area sales managers are, are just posting the the slack channel of all the, the placements they're getting and all the displays they're getting it's just it's crazy to see it's it's desire it's want it's yeah it's it's real. And like, you know, you kind of hear it about it like cliche wise, but no, like that desire of doing what it takes to to get whether it's one more face and a dark chocolate or a, a K stack up to the moon of all three flavors, like that, that's real. And that oh, yeah. drives sales.
0: It is. And I think it's something that in the last year I feel like is kind of been talked about so much less just because of covid i mean it sounds like you're in the root in the weeds of it i mean for me at rx when i first joined in 2017 i mean that was like daily it was like my email was just like hey hey we got into this door hey we got this placement i mean it was just like you couldn't keep up is do you feel like it's kind of coming back is like are we kind of on the starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as retail and and some of i guess that's you know really like secondary placement some of this promotional stuff that we we've been missing out on the last year
1: i think it's coming I think it's, and again, that's why for us, we were in like 300, 400 stores like Q3 last year. And then now we're going to be in 3,000. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, and again, it's because of like we weren't getting meetings during, during COVID, yeah, right? And it's because right. none of these retailers were, were, were cutting a new product. They're selling milk and, and like traditional, like bread.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but it's but funny think- too, because there's yeah. a lot of brands that, um I mean, you guys are one of the few I would, I would put into the category of, when that happened, you put your pedal to the metal on ecom and online, and you noticed it, and you saw it a lot, like I saw you guys everywhere yeah. um and then there's brands that I felt like got were way behind, and they didn't get it figured out to like the end of the summer yeah. and then now that we're kind of on this end this whiplash on the other side, the brands that really made it on ecom and made a splash online, I think to be honest that's what i'm seeing I'm seeing in retail now the the buyers are the same people like me and you that are looking yeah. online at food and drinks um that are now wanting those brands back in the store, so it's it kind of is, it's kind of this wild life cycle that's happened.
1: Hundred, and that's r- right when we realized this was happening. Uh, we realized we had to like COVID, like let's not, let's say like early April last year, yeah. we realized that we weren't going to go again on the shelves, and so that's when we kind of took the the gas off or the the took the we started putting the brakes on retail and focusing on e-commerce because we knew there was a huge opportunity that was about to come where yeah. like people like my grandma were buying online. Like, yeah, right. Like that's it's not, like the first that's time ever.
0: Anything. And they're like, wait, this is really nice. <laughs>
1: exactly. This is great. It got yeah. to my door. And so yeah. that's why when we launched the business, you know, a story I didn't even go into is we went to local dairy farms around the area. Around oh, the did you really? House. And we were just like, can we just make some of this stuff and just like start like handing it out? Like just anything. Cause again, there's 16 months from yeah. the idea. And so there was like a six eight month period there in in probably late 2018. Where we're like, we maybe we just want to kind of make this stuff, okay, right? Um, And then we're like, at a certain point, like we were literally at these dairy farms, like where they were just producing milk and like selling it to schools.
0: Oh, wow! And
1: we, I think one day we just looked at each other, "What the hell are we doing?" Like, like let's let's be patient here. Let's be patient. Sure. Um, And then again, like, how do we launch that? Which I don't think we actually would have. COVID would have crushed us. Like, we we knew we had to be shelf stable. Like, we knew that in our guts and. I think, you know, one of the things that Josh and I always talk about is we go with our gut. We always we always follow the data, look at the data, whatever. But going with our gut is basically just like our instincts analyzing all the info we've ever seen and then just telling us what to do. And I think oh, that I mean, that's smart. We we've had like two major, I wouldn't say major. I mean we've had plenty of mistakes, but the two mistakes that we always go back to and we still talk about, not during weekdays, but like if we like sometimes like jokingly bring it up, are the mistakes where we went against our gut and we were still wrong. No, oh, okay. Because, because if you go with your gut and you're wrong, you're like, all right, at least I went with what I really thought was best and my body told me so. But if you go against your gut and you're wrong, like, you idiot, manny, like you idiot, Josh. Like you guys knew. Like you can't sleep because you're like, yeah. I knew I knew this was wrong.
0: Well, so explain to everyone why you did it then. why you why did you do it twice? If you that's uh, a I, great I mean, that's a great piece right there. Just like
1: I think the first time was we'll call it Hollywood, the Hollywood effect. Okay. But uh, we, we got sold and we got a little starstruck. And because we, we thought it was what's best for the business. And we we're like, yeah, just there's something about it where we're not totally sure. But we thought it was being uncomfortable versus going against our gut. Because you're always out of your comfort zone. Like, Sure. Like, oh, yeah, always. You're, like you got to step outside your comfort zone when, uh, when you're doing something new, right? To achieve something new, you got to be uncomfortable. And we thought it was like a little bit of discomfort <laughs> versus going against our gut. And the second time, I think it was the, the same thing. And, and this, you know, the first one was a little like, not, none were severe. not like impacted the business significantly. Um, but we're like, dude, we just got to take a second next time. Like, again, things are moving so quickly. And, you know, we always talk about just analyzing everything and right. then we make a decision, make a decision. And we say, NLD, never look back. Just go. Love it. And if Love it's it. wrong, like you're not, you know, it's like kind of like connect the dots, you're yeah. not like a that line or just jump into a new dot. Right. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah. The second time we are like, what, like, just think, just stop for a second, take a deep breath and just like, listen to like what your body is telling you.
0: Love it. I mean, that's great. Yeah. I think, especially in like the startup world, there's so many, I mean, even at RX, when it was like, even like right as you're going through the acquisition and then even after there's been so many, and I'm sure everyone deals with this, so many things where it's like, yeah, you're just kind of taking a risk and it, you're, to your point, I like that a lot. Like if you go with your gut, at least you're still going to have, you're still 50-50 chance of being wrong. But if you go with your gut, I mean, you I think you'll remember that lesson too of just like, this is why I thought it was a good idea. Even right. if it wasn't, we went for it. But it, there's also something about failing fast too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you guys are probably in the thick of this too, but it's like so many of the big brands, they take so long to test decisions that by the time they test it, and if it's a failure, they've wasted so much time and resources where a lot of smaller companies have the ability to test and fail quick and iterate and keep moving. I
1: know. It's great. Like we, we always go back to the choose because the the whole, uh, why can't Facebook do it? We call it like, yeah. why can't big company X do it? Like we have the conversation all the time. We have one investor that says that if anyone ever asks you that question as an investor, hang up immediately, they're not right to be an investor, which we oh, don't do that.
0: Love it. That extreme, you should but... hang out with me. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no. Uh, but, uh, no, we, we always, t- we, we, there are cases of large companies that have tried startups that have been unsuccessful. Like, um, I think it was Pepsi and Quaker came out with a, like a, or Moeller. It was Pepsi and Moeller came out with a Moeller flip. It was mm-hmm. like a competitor at Chobani back in the day. They, they, what they did in sales, if we were doing in sales, if, if either of us were doing it in sales, we'd be, uh, we'd be doing all right. Let's just yeah, put it that way. Sure. But they just couldn't keep up and they ended up shutting it down very quickly. The same thing. Quaker just came out with uh, with an oat milk not too long ago. Obviously, oat milk's you know, hot right now. Yeah, it was on the, it was, it's oat milk. Like it's it's not too difficult to make, but it was on the, it was in the market for three months. They shut it down. They just couldn't get to where they needed to get too quickly enough.
0: Because for and them, so, it's all about shareholder return.
1: Exactly. You
0: know? Right. You know they don't have time to wait to see if it'll work. It's got to work right off the bat. Exactly. Which is so interesting when you think about it, right? And it's it's funny when you walk in the store now and you're starting to see down every aisle brands like you guys. Um, I think the cereal aisle is really interesting. Obviously, we're owned by Kellogg, so it's yep. you know you're starting to see brands pop up that are taking a spin on that. Like there's lots of that happening down lots of different aisles now.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know we see a lot of at least what we talk about is we see a lot of the same things with the brands that are starting to to make it or win when it comes mm-hmm. to to startups. We see. Familiarity, nostalgia, and better for you—like those are kind of like the. Oh, freedom. I love
0: it! Yeah, you guys hit that on the head.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I think that you know that's also why. Again, it's not something we set out to create. We're not like we didn't say those like buzzwords or whatever. But you, know, you look at like lattes, like canned yeah. lattes—they're better for you. Canned lattes or or bottled latte companies that are doing great. You look at cereal, right? You yeah. Look at like lemonade or or sparkling or soda, right? Yeah. And I think you know, we're thinking of a lot of the same brands here and. It's taking something that people know that's familiar to them and it's making it better for you and taste just as good, if not right. better. And then at that point, the consumer is willing to pay the extra 50 cents, a dollar for it because it's better for their bodies.
0: hundred percent. It's like and this those- whole, it's like paradigm shift of like what things should cost at the store. Yep. I know I just had the founder of, uh, it's called Luna Bay Booch. It's like, um, I don't know if you've, heard, if you've heard of this, but it's like, um, it's probiotics and other, there's other like, really good ingredients in it's like spiked kombucha. Okay. And it was one of those things where like in mid conversation, I had heard this brand. It's like a, w- a friend of my wife's and I was like, it's so strange because that's like the one aisle or maybe just the one part of the store that like, I've gotten so used to as, you know, through college and everything else is like, you're drinking shitty beer and you don't think anything of it. And now I'm starting to see brands even in that space that are starting oh, yeah. to bring like better for you and they're And they cost a lot more. And at first you're like sticker shock. You're like, Holy shit. Four cans for $15 at whole foods. Like what's in this. But then you start, you're like, well, hold on. I do this with every other part of my day. I don't know. It's very interesting. It's all starting to transition.
1: Yeah. And I think also the reason why a lot of these brands are are having success is because I think people more and more integrating products into their routine more, especially now with COVID, like when people are working remotely, you know, I I personally eat and drink the same thing at the same time every day. Like it's just easy for me. Yeah. Um, Right. And so
0: it's just one less thing to
1: worry about. It's just, you don't have to think about it. Right. And so if I can replace you know, my my bag of chips with something like a better for you bag of chips. And it still tastes like I'm still getting the satisfaction I need. Like, why yeah. wouldn't I do that? Like, sure. why not pay an extra 50 cents per bag? Right. Um, and I think that's what we're starting to see is especially, again, especially now with COVID is people just replacing – like staples in the routine with better for you staples. And that's why, you know, you're still going to have, whether it's your weekend or whatever, like your cheat days or cheat meals. Yeah. And I don't think that those are ones that I, at least I am seeing a lot of better for you brands really penetrate. It's like the cheat meal. It's, yeah. more, it's, it's more just um, these routines, right? Like we always talk about, we want to be a part of the, the everyday routine. Like we want right. to be a part of the day that you're exercising whether that's as your breakfast, as your 3 PM or as your post-workout, like that's like, our, those are our three drinking moments. Yeah. And so we'd rather have you a know, hundred people drink us four times a week than a thousand people drink us once.
0: Love it. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, the repetitive purchaser you want to like keep that person that's trying it all the time. Yeah. Definitely. That totally makes sense. That totally yeah. makes sense. Um, you kind of hit on e-commerce. That was another Avenue I was curious of, um, but would love to know just to kind of expand on as we're, I know we're getting to the end of our time is you, um, what, what has, what, what did the year of COVID 2020, what did you guys learn from an e-commerce lens? Um, Just like w- what have been the impacts of your business and how do you guys think you're going to take e-commerce moving forward now that you're trying to get into retail as well?
1: Yeah. I think our goal is to have about 80% of our sales be retail. Like that's our long-term goal. Yeah. We think about e-commerce as a great channel, but in all, eventually if it isn't yet, yeah, it'll be marketing through sales, right? Like we, When we are advertising, typically on Facebook and Instagram, which is where we do a lot, we're starting to get in podcasts a little bit. We do some Google. um, But we're really thinking about that as like a mobile billboard that is trying to drive people to sell. But even if they don't buy, or they're trying to drive people to buy, but even if they don't buy, then they go into a store and they're familiar with the product. Yeah. Right? And so we're really building, we're using e-commerce to really build the brand. And so as we grow, and that's why, you know, COVID silver lining here is, um, at least for the Slate business, is that like it, it allowed us to build the brand drive and drive sales as we kind of got our retail affairs in order.
0: Yeah. Oh, so okay. Now
1: our brand, you know, cause we, <clears throat> I don't know how many stores we would have been in, but we would have been, been in more than 300. And then now we've had a whole year of, of just all over social media, whether it's influencers, whether that's athletes, whether like, cause we do a lot with, with influencers and athletes, and then obviously just paid ads. Now people, so many more people have seen the product. So just the the conversion rate in store, we just expect to be significantly higher.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, totally makes sense. Yeah. And are you, um, are you guys obviously like chocolate milk has been the whole point of, you know, the beginning of this Yeah. And you don't just share anything you don't want to, but as I think about you getting into retail, obviously the next thing they'll push for is innovation and other things, or at least flavor extensions. Yep. I'm sure there's tons in the pipeline, but is there anything you want to share? That's like something on the horizon that people yeah. should look forward to from slate.
1: So, uh, we had a, I think we had a strong first year. We were very fortunate. A lot of buyers took a chance on us. And, and again, it's just our team boots on the ground. It's been unbelievable building the brand online. I think that what's important is especially early on first two years for any business, constantly improving the product. The Like even RX, you think about the repackage, right?
0: Yep. We've oh, yeah. we've told
1: that story to investors even. So I
0: mean, it's, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's crazy how how, sim- how something so simple can be so impactful.
1: But like, you, like, even Doug from Halo Top even always talks about like the improving on the early <laughs> products. Um, we have some of the team members of Yasso Greek frozen yogurt on our team. Nice. They started with, with a much different product than, and then they started taking off when they changed the product. So I think I would expect to see some changes to our current products. Um, some enhancements we'll call them within the next okay. couple of months. Um, right now, all of our SKUs have nine grams of added sugar. Um, still 75% less than, than chocolate milks have 17 grams of protein, 130 cal. We think that we can make them more flavorful and, and a better nutritional makeup. Um, and I think that finding that balance of like flavor, sweetness, and nutritional is something we're always going to be improving. Oh yeah. Um, so we spent the last year doing that. And so excited to release some of that innovation in the coming months. Uh, I think the obviously obvious next innovation also is, is new flavors. Okay. Yeah. Which, uh. Man, to to get a a shelf stable, ultra filtered chocolate milk or flavored milk to market takes time.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. We, we've talked about it. So it makes so much sense now for anyone listening. I mean, I'm sure that's like me. Like there's a lot of light bulbs going off as you were explaining that process.
1: Yep. So uh, we we have some of those that we're hoping to release sometime later this year, and then I think that there's also an opportunity to to just help give all of milk a clean slate. I think that that's you know what we have kind of uncovered is that. Um, you know that it's it's been a great start but i think that there's a larger opportunity that we're starting to think about um you know how can because milk again it's just milk itself like chocolate milk aside it's often thought of as you know this high sugar kids drink
0: yeah it really is right?
1: yeah right and that, I mean, that's chocolate milk and the milk itself is just like a drink for kids um so you know as we think about the future like we are an athleisure brand right like we kind of have a fitness angle to us um, because of the high protein, we're just thinking of how can we help reposition olive milk, and so just starting to have those conversations. And you know, we call them blue, co- blue sky conversations. Typically, you know, Friday nights, Sunday nights. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think when you're starting any business, you got to think short term and long term. Mostly short term, but then just know what you're working towards. And I think in the uh, in the next year or so, I would expect better products or enhanced products and more flavors.
0: Love it man those are sweet those are great i, I you know it gets me excited i I'm, I'm, i actually haven't tried it yet but i'm gonna, i'm going to get some after this and try it out oh, yeah, i'm excited to try it it's
1: your address.
0: I, I would love to i would love to try some um you've answered a lot of the questions it's so fun like i told you at the beginning before we recorded i always have questions you kind of okay. like just started pinging them off um the few that i have to ask i always ask founders these yeah. um you seem like a guy that would be into something like this um i always say i always lead with book but if it's if you're not a reader it could be a podcast just source of knowledge for all the listeners, what is your most um, suggested or shared book, podcast, source of knowledge?
1: I will listen to every founder story I can. Okay, so whether it's how I about this, whether it's VMG um, has a podcast called Unfinished Biz, love it. Um, just listening to founder stories because you can hear about like, again. You're not going to hear everything, but you start to hear a lot of the same problems and a lot. There are a lot of similarities along the way. Um, so you know as if you are to to go on to try to start a company or you you are, I would listen to as many stories as you can. And just, we try to talk to as many founders as we can too, because I think that's just the best way to learn.
0: Love it. Yeah. Just getting into the weeds with all everyone else that's trying to do the same thing. That's really smart. That's smart. Um, This one, I think it's interesting to hear this from any founder, but obviously running a business, there's just gotta be a million different things that you're trying to manage day in and day out. What is your go-to as far as tools go for, you know, goal planning, daily tasks? Is it pen and paper or is it apps? Like what do you use to just plan your day and get shit done?
1: So, uh, it's a lot of Josh and I just calling each other being like, what the hell we got to do today? (laughs) I know that is. Yeah. So we, we have a lot of Google sheets. Um, still we try to be as scrappy as possible, right? Yeah. Uh, We are big on Slack. Um, we, uh, honestly we do the whole unread email thing okay so and we again josh and i are co what, do, what does
0: that mean what is unread so, like, email? basically
1: like we will leave an email unread until it's responded to by either me or josh or like who's supposed to respond to it okay So It's just like a constant cleaning out of the inbox um that's, a that's lot something of i do
0: i never realized that was a thing i do that same thing but exactly I that's what like, yeah. i
1: think that it just kind of works for us okay yeah um and like if there's an email like josh and i one of us is going to respond because a lot of the times we like, communicate with the same people we'll just like text each other like, like we're just texting all day like okay which that's probably the easiest honestly It's like, again we're not trying to like we're we're pretty simple about what we do it's like we, we don't have any ridiculous software it's like we do have organization like our, our teams use trello like our, our okay. uses trello um our grocery team uses repsly so it's like we have all of these tools but when it comes to myself and my co-founder josh just delegating working together it's text it's slack and it's email and It's just, again, it's just like getting shit done. Just knowing what has to get done, just constantly communicating. And I think being, not not being at an office has its pros and cons, but I think that's probably the toughest part. It's just like those one-off messages, just they add up, like the the time it takes.
0: Right. Instead of turning around and asking a question, now it's some sort of communication, right? Right. Um, I was, that's one question I would love to ask you before we finish up is, is how did you, how did you two decide you were going to be good? And maybe that's, that's you, you don't know until you're in the weeds, but I think that's something that's always hard to figure out is how do they, how do the two people that start something know that they're like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do well together. Or has it been something you guys just kind of figured out over time?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it starts with trust, like the amount of stories of founder split, like whatever it is, it always started with trust. And like when Josh and I, we met in the tech world before this okay um, before slate. and like there's just like a mutual level of trust or like i i could tell John like business wise personal like it doesn't matter like i could tell him anything no would ever find out if he says he's gonna get something done i know it's getting done like there's no need to follow up like oh, sometimes i will just like give him a hard time and like same with him goes to me um but like it's just this mutual level of trust and just again the desire to build something and it didn't even start with chocolate milk i think we just kind of both felt like the other one had this like desire to build something sweet okay, and it's just happened with chocolate milk but it's just like the want to just like build the next big thing yeah and then as we started i think it was clear that we just kind of like yin and yang very well okay um when it comes to, honestly to most aspects of the business and, and i do think that if there's ever anything that both of us don't know like i know josh will be able to figure it out like no matter what it is like oh, i, I, I do not trust josh to design anything for the life of me <laughs> but like marketing wise but if he had to like i know he would work and work and work and just get it done the same thing like if when it comes to finance stuff like if i had to get something done he knows i would just google the shit out of it and then just figure it out and get it done and move on and just do it the best i could and i think that's early on we we had that mutual level of trust and respect for one another okay um and then it just kind of we just kind of morphed into what we need to morph into. do and there's a lot we still do together like, yeah because I think that us working together creates the the most powerful solution to a lot of the problems
0: no that's really cool I mean that's a that's a great way to put it it sounds like you guys are both hustlers so it sounds like you just get stuff done and figure it out and that's probably the key to a lot of the problems right so
1: I mean that's solving them. it's, It's it's making decisions it's not standing idly it's uh it's almost like this like big maze like you're in a helicopter you're looking at like a grass field maze yeah a million different paths to get to the center whatever the center is and you take the wrong turn, you go miles and miles the wrong direction, you hit a wall, you're like, shit, you just take another turn. It's right. just like, I think you that's just mentality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love it. No, that's great. Um, last question, and the most important. How can people follow along with your journey? And how can people follow Slate and Try slate
1: yeah. So we are uh we sell nationwide online, slate slatemilk.com, S-L-A-T-E-M-I-L-K.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at Slate Milk. And you can sign up for our email subscriber list. It's usually where we give the best discounts, which I know people love. Love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're always updating people on our Instagram, always on our emails, and you know, it's again, it's we've been very fortunate to have a lot of awesome people get involved, and we're we're run by our team, like whether it's investor advisors, but now it's really the employees that are just busting ass every single day. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun ride.
0: Awesome. Well, I will add all those to the show notes. So you guys can check all that out. Um, and Manny, thank you so much. I know you're a busy man. So thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks brother. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk soon. Stay in touch. All right. See ya. Awesome. See ya.